evening, everybody. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, with me. Um, we're going to be looking at verse 23 through 26 primarily is uh, what we want to get to. Um, however, I'm going to read from verse 18 to verse 26 as we'll talk a little bit about that there. So the title is Following Christ. Um, and once you find your place in your Bible, if you'd like to stand with me as long as you're able to out of reverence to God and his word, we will read together. So again, what we really want to consider is we're going to see is in verse 23 and on, but we're going to read from verse 18. So Luke's gospel, chapter 9, starting in verse 18. The word of the Lord reads this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day, and be killed, excuse me, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the Word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer together. <clears throat> Our God and Father, we thank you again, Lord, so much that we can gather together, that we can praise you, Lord, through song and, and through prayer, and now, Lord, by opening your word, and as we've already prayed, as our brother Pastor John there already prayed, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive whatever you would have us to, to, to get from your word tonight, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would help us to see and to understand uh, what it means to be a Christian, to follow after Christ, Lord. And um, we just pray that you would uh, do the work in our hearts that, that we need, Lord. You know what we need, uh, whether it be conviction, encouragement, um, whatever it may be, Lord, we just pray that you would do that in us today, that we might live more for your glory. We ask this in, in your name, in, in Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat there. Now, we've, uh, we've probably all heard the saying at some point in our life, and maybe even uh, many of us have even said it in some context or another, that some people are, are leaders and others are followers. And as much as that is true, some people are certainly leaders. Some people have the natural character qualities, the charisma and all that... Uh, uh, that cause people to follow them after, and, or to follow after them, and it's it's good. We need good, strong leaders. We need leaders in, in the church. We need leaders in the home and business and government and all. But as much as that's true that some people are leaders, it's definitely true that all people are followers. All people follow peoples and things. And so the the, the question might come from that, or that we might ask then is, well, what does it mean to follow someone? What does it mean to follow after? Something, and I think in our in our in our culture, if it's American culture or maybe just Western modern postmodern Western culture in general, we have become. I, I think it's safe to say we've become uh, 
all too familiar, over-familiar with this idea, or at least the, the term, the concept of following people and things, especially in light of the advent of social media. We follow all kinds of peoples and things, and the extent of the concept of following someone, following something, at least to some extent to what we're going to see in terms of following Christ is captured here, at least, at least again, to some extent here. Um, social media, it's really interesting when you think about the the following and how much we follow and what we follow and all. Um, I looked up a couple statistics just to kind of share with you guys. Um, they might be a little bit old, but uh, but currently it's it's said that people spend about two and a half hours a day on social media. That's a lot of time that we spend on on social media as as a people as a whole. Um, some of the follower amounts for or, or follower counts follower counts for accounts on social media. It's kind of Kind of interesting. On Twitter, the average follower count for an account is about 700. The average Twitter account has 700 followers. Um, Facebook, friends, followers, same, I think, same concept pretty much. That's about 340. That's the average amount of followers on Facebook. Instagram, it's about 150. It's a far cry from the amount that I have on my social media, but uh, but that's the average there. Instagram's a, a pretty interesting one. I like Instagram personally because I like pictures and stuff, so I look on there all the time. But Instagram, they say they have about a billion monthly active users. And on Instagram, in the top 20 accounts that have the top 20 follower counts, it's, it's pretty telling what people, you know, what we look at, what captures our attention and all, and what we follow after, if you will. I um, mean, the top 20 follower count accounts, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, you find celebrities. You know, Selena Gomez is in there. Uh, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, he was on there. You have athletes. Uh, Ronaldo is on there. You have people who are simply famous for being famous, I think. The, the Jenners and the Kardashians, I don't know what they do, but they're famous, I think, just simply for being famous. And you have Instagram's, their own account is like the top follower account count, or however you'd say it there. And, um, and that one's interesting. If you look at it, if you look at Instagram's, their public uh, profile there, uh, I think what we could say is this really represents popular culture a as a whole. There's a, there's a lot of stuff on there. And I, I was thinking about this, that perhaps we could even say, you know, this is in the eyes of the world, this is the best that the world has to offer. There's all kinds of stuff in there. And, you know, hundreds of millions, I can't remember exactly what it is off, offhand, but they have the hundreds of millions, I believe, followers who just follow after and consume this kind of stuff. And so as a people, in some sense, you know, we, we follow all sorts of peoples and things. And although, again, this concept that we're going to look at in following Christ, biblically following after Jesus, we can, some of this uh, concept, idea from social media, we can we can connect to that, we can relate to that, but we can take it a little bit further in understanding, you know, what does it actually mean, what does it actually entail to follow after something? Well, to follow after, when we speak of following after someone or something, it means that I'm, that I'm giving my attention, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving my thoughts, I'm focusing on this, this person or, or thing, my attention and my thoughts. Uh, I give of my time. Um, in, in many respects, I'm giving my approval or my support to these things, these people that I, that I follow and give my attention and all to. I may give of my resources, whether it's time or money or whatever it might be. Uh, to follow means, to follow after someone or something uh, means in, in, to some extent I'm, I'm committed. You know, I'm devoted. To, to follow after things or people, to follow, means that that person or that thing 
holds a position of great value and importance to me. Now, the reason for this following after people and things lies, I believe, in the fact that we, by nature, we are worshipers. We were created to worship, and so we will worship. And, you know, if, if hearing that causes some kind of confusion, if, you know, how are we going to take this idea or, or connect this idea of following after people and things in this world with worship, if, if that causes a confusion or for us to, you know, step back and think, hey, wait a minute, um, that might indicate really a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what worship really is. You know, we don't, in order to commit worship, we don't necessarily have to physically bow before a physical altar, you know, maybe the Hollywood image of, of worship, as it were. We don't have to do that to commit worship. And really, even as Christians, as religious folk, you know, um, many of us, I think, sometimes we can tend to associate things such as the singing of songs, like we just did, like, well, that's worship, you know. Um, However, nothing really could be further from the truth there. Uh, praising God in song for us and you know, praising God in song with his people in church, that's certainly a form of worship, uh, absolutely, but it's not the exclusive definition of worship. Worship is a way of life. Worship is living a life bent in a Godward direction. It means that my entire life is lived to the glory of God, even outside the activities of Sunday morning and singing songs and fellowshipping with his people. Worship is a way of life. It's what we were created to do and how we were created to live. Now, with that in mind, it would then it would be naive, I think, for us to say that what we are following after in life, what we are giving our, our time, investing our time and our energy and our thoughts and giving ourselves over to that, that in any degree, um, that that does not at least in some way equate with what we would understand as a practical form of worship. See? Uh, you know, if you look through the Bible, and I had a handful of uh, scriptures, but I'll just read a couple of them. But, you know, if you look through the scriptures, you can uh, kind of see, you know, just consider the, uh, the imagery, I guess, of worship as being core to who we are as people created in the image of God. And I'll just give you two of these. In Isaiah 43, 7 and 21, God says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, the people who I have formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Uh, we were created in the image of God, and we were created to worship and glorify God with all of our lives. Uh, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our whole life is to be lived for the glory of God, which is practically a life full of worship in, in, in every respect there. Now, our problem, which comes from our, from our sinfulness, from our fallenness, is that sin, it causes us to exchange the worship of God, that which we were created for, to worship, to know and to worship God. It causes us to exchange the worship of God for the worship of other things. I'm sure most of us here are familiar with Romans chapter 1, where Paul explains that, that, that people... Uh, gave themselves over to sin and they exchanged the worship of God for things that were false worship for other things. And, and what we see there is that sin, you know, it doesn't just, sin, it doesn't just simply blur the lines of what worship is, but it, but it actually causes a, a wholesale exchange of proper worship. We were created to know and to worship God and God alone. 
And so, you know, going back to this, we see that we, as people, you know, we follow after, to, at least to some degree, we worship, in some sense, many different things. And I think we see that uh, in life. I think we can all relate to that. We've seen that um, either in ourselves or in other people. To some, it's, it's wealth. You know, it's a following after and a desire for wealth. To some, it's power, position, reputation, opinions of others. It's relationships, uh, material objects, whatever the case might be. And you know, embedded in this, I think oftentimes, maybe even all the time, embedded in this following after peoples and things and all, is a quest for, and a, it truly is a deception, a quest for and a deception of self-autonomy. And this goes all the way back to the, the garden with Adam and Eve and that first sin. It's, it's me saying, well, I'm going to decide what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to decide what's good and evil. I'm going to decide what's worthy of my time, what's worthy of my devotion. And, and the truth is, is that we just, we were not created to make those decisions. We were created to live in agreement with and obedience to the God who has revealed those things to us. We were created to worship and serve God, to follow after him with all of our heart and with all of our life. So then, if I'm going to follow after someone, if I'm going to follow after someone to the extent at least that we see that we are called to do biblically in terms of following after Christ, as we'll see, if I'm going to follow someone, then, then they must be viewed as being worthy of being followed. You know, I'm, I'm not going to follow after someone who I do not ultimately value or hold in a high regard in my heart. You know, if I'm going to follow Christ then, as we see that we're going to be called to in our text, if I'm going to follow Christ, if I'm going to be obedient to his word and to his command, if I'm going to strive for the life of holiness that he calls me to, if I'm going to endure suffering for the sake of Christ that I'm often called to, if I'm going to do and to persevere in the work that he calls me to do, if I'm going to be a, a Christ follower, then I have to see him as worthy. I have to have a right view of him. I have to hold him in the highest regard in my heart and in my life. And I, I believe really, although the, the scriptures as a whole present this glorious view of Christ that, cause, that should cause us to view him as being worthy like that, um, we really don't have to go any further than Luke chapter 9. If you looked through Luke chapter 9, just in this chapter of scripture surrounding our text that we're going to look at, you get um, such a view of Jesus Christ. You get a couple stories of a couple miracles that, that show forth his power and his authority there. He feeds the 5,000. He heals a boy with an unclean spirit. We get the transfiguration uh, that comes after our, our, our text there, but where Christ coming into the world... Uh, taking on humanity, veiled his, you know, eternal glory in a, in a sense there in the transfiguration. He reveals his true glory to a couple of his disciples. We have the profession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that for a moment. And in the, the middle of all of that, what we get is we, we encounter this, it's wisdom and it's warning about following Christ. What we get is we get a picture of what it means and what it looks like to follow after Christ, to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian. And, and what we find, as we, as hopefully as we look at it, what we'll see is that the Christian is called to a life of undivided, uncompromising allegiance and devotion to Jesus Christ. So as we look at it, I, I would just ask you, I, I guess anybody here or listening, are you a Christ follower? Are you following after Jesus Christ? Because what we're going to get to in a moment, it's going to show us if that's true, then this is what it looks like. Okay? So with that, let's, let's look briefly before we get to that, 
verse 23 and on that, that really gets to the heart of what we want to consider. Let's look real quick, though, at verse 18 uh, to 22. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. If you'd like to look at your Bible, and we'll read it again and, and, and just say a few things about this. In verse 18, it said, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, this portion of Scripture, the, the importance of it probably cannot be understated. Um, he begins there, and we're just going to look at it very briefly, but he begins there by asking his disciples, well, who do other people, who do they say that I am? What are the crowds saying about me out there? And the answer is really on the surface, they're really quite respectable. You know, if you look at it, John the Baptist, some people say you're John the Baptist. Well, uh, you know, Jesus himself said there's no one born among women greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty respectable answer, I think. What about, well, some say you're Elijah. Well, Elijah was one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. There's all kinds of, uh, God took him into heaven in chariots of fire. Uh, he was a, a, a great prophet there. One of the prophets of olds there. Um, they're really great sounding on the surface, respectable answers. Who do the crowds say that I am? And really throughout history up till today, even many people, people have had many differing views of Jesus Christ. And some, although wrong, although falling short of, you know, the reality of who he is, they, they really sound good and respectable. Some will say, well, he was a, a good teacher. He was a great teacher. He was a great moral example. He was a wonderful humanitarian, maybe. He was a religious leader, a prophet. Um, there's a story of a man, uh, of a conversation between a man named Lee Strobel and Charles Templeton. Lee Strobel, if you're familiar, he wrote all the Case for Christ stuff, if you know that. Charles Templeton was a contemporary of Billy Graham, and he was actually the one who everybody thought was going to be the Billy Graham, um, but he eventually, he ended up uh, leaving his faith and um, dying apart from Christ for, from what it all seems. But they, he, Lee Strobel interviewed him at one time, and their conversation, he asked him about what he thought of Jesus, this one who had you know, once professed to be a Christian, but yet walked away from the, from the faith. <clears throat> and this is what Templeton said. He said, he was the greatest human being who's ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically, the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? He is the most important thing in my life, and I adore him. And, and so these answers, you know, although they, they might sound respectable, nice about Jesus, they fall far short uh, of, of who he truly is. So he begins by asking, who do they say? Who do the crowds say that I am? But then, as we read, he quite emphatically, he would look to his disciples and he asks, but who do you say that I am? Now, the reason or a reason for the importance of this part of scripture is that it has everything to do with being a Christ follower. It has everything to do with salvation. Who do you say that I am? It's a question of my beliefs. It's a question of my faith, of 
what I understand theologically from the scriptures, who do you think or who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And remember that, uh, you know, I'm only going to follow after someone to the extent which I'm called to do so biblically, as we're going to see, whom I view as worthy and hold in that high regard. So who do you say that Jesus Christ is? You see, the answer to this question, the way they or the way we would answer this question, uh, really confirms our view of Jesus Christ and the reality of our confession of faith. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, Peter's confession there, we can take it probably as speaking for the 12, he says, you are the Christ of God. Uh, very simply, he, he says, you're the, the Messiah, you know, you're the deliverer, you're the redeemer, you're the savior, you're the, the one whom all of scripture and all of history has been pointing to and anticipating, you're the, the saving son of God, you're the the God-man who's come into the world. You see, there's only, there's only one view of Jesus that exalts him to his proper place of glory and honor, that which is worthy of my complete allegiance and following after him with all that I am. He is the one true and only Savior. He is the one true God and King. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And Peter here, after his <clears throat> confession, he's immediately met, or they're immediately met here, or it's followed by a confession of Christ, that he has come not as they might have expected, as some conquering king and ruling king, though he'll come that way one day, we're told, but he's come to suffer, he's come to die, and he's come to be raised on the third day. He Essentially, he tells them the gospel there. He's come as the suffering servant of God. He's come as the one who was testified of by the prophets there, that, that he would come, that he would suffer, that he would die in the place of his people, that he would atone for their sins. Um, he, he, he's come to do that which we could never do for ourselves. He's come to take our sin upon himself, the judgment we deserve for our sin. He's come as the sin bearer to bear this cross on our behalf that we might be forgiven and and receive his righteousness and live in the presence of God. Well, <clears throat> following this confession and Jesus' response, uh, talking about his own suffering and his gospel work, what we find then is Jesus' teaching about discipleship. Well, what does it mean, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And so those, these next few verses, they really get to the heart again, they get to the heart of what I, I want us to consider or what I'd like to consider this evening with you is that if I profess to be a Christ follower, if I profess to be a Christian, well then, you know, I should be concerned with what the scriptures say such a person looks like. You know, I shouldn't be content with my own ideas of what, a, what I believe a Christian should look like and be. I, I shouldn't come up with my own, you know, self-devised concepts there of, of what a Christian looks like or even believes, you know, and that's, that's, really, that's, the, um, that's really the product, the philosophy of the culture, uh, the individual, the self-autonomous kind of view, the, uh, uh, the this is my truth, that's your truth, this is what this means to me, um, that's really that's that self-autonomous view that comes from sinful culture there. No, I see a true Christian, a true Christ follower, follower ultimately should be, needs to be, is required to be submitted to the truth and the authority of Scripture alone. And concerning the matter of being a Christ follower, Scripture is not silent. You see, in these next verses, we get a biblical view of what it means to follow Christ, to be a Christian. Now, I do want to say before we look at them just as a somewhat of a 
disclaimer, if you will, or whatever you want to call it here, that when we look at what's, uh, what we're going to look at here in just a second, that this is not speaking to the Christian who wants to take it to the next level in their relationship with the Lord. You know, it's, it's not the one who uh, wants to be uh, maybe a, a second-degree Christian. I don't know what to call it, but this isn't the person who just wants more. This, is, this gets to the heart of what it means to truly be a follower of Christ, to truly be a Christian. And so if these things are not true of me, if I profess to be a Christian, a Christ follower, but yet what Christ says a Christ follower looks like is not true of me, then, you know, that if that should at least give me motive to do some self-examination of my heart and of my faith, and it, it may give reason to doubt the authenticity of my relationship with the Lord, because what he says is the Christ follower this is what you will look like. So let's, let's go through it here, starting in verse 23, and we'll read these couple of, uh, we'll go through these couple of verses together here. So in verse 23, if you look at your Bible again, he says, He said to all, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And follow me. So he starts there. He says to all, If anyone would come after me. Now, to come after Jesus, uh, what he means there is uh, to come after Jesus is very simply to become a disciple, to become one of his followers. It's to become a Christ follower. It's, it's really, it's nothing short of a, a call, a description, if you will, uh, to salvation. To come after Jesus here is meant uh, as coming to him in saving faith. And, you know, we should what we need to understand, looking at this verse and what we're going to talk about here, is that the one who comes to Jesus in saving faith and in turn becomes a Christ follower, that the biblical description of such a person, of a disciple there, is one who has given up all previous allegiances and now lives under the authority of Christ as Lord. You, know, you get a, even a more clear picture of this, I think, at the end of the chapter, verses 57 through 62, um, I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you for the sake of time, but there we get this picture of these would-be followers of Jesus. Maybe you're familiar with that story. You know, one, one comes along and says, oh, Jesus, you know, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And, and he says, well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. And, you know, in other words, following after him, you may have to sacrifice some of the maybe worldly creature comforts that we, that we enjoy. You're going to have to be willing to give those things up. Another one comes along and says, uh, you know, I'll follow you, but uh, uh, let me go and bury my father uh, first. And he says, uh, leave the dead to bury their, their own dead, and you come and, or you go proclaim the gospel. And it sounds maybe to someone who's unfamiliar, it sounds very maybe cold and harsh, but the point is, is uh, uh, maybe we could say misplaced priorities. You know, I'll follow you, Lord, but I got to do these things first. But let me just go take care of some things first before I really completely give myself over to you. And then the last one says, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me just go say farewell to those at my house. And he says, you know, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there is, you know, you can't, you can't become a Christ follower and you can't put your hand to the plow and be living for the kingdom of God and have maybe, like we say, one foot in the world. You can't be looking back constantly being uh, distracted and, and, and drawn back into the world. Once you put your hand to the plow, he says, you know, you go forward. Now, the first thing in our, in our text here in verse 23, when he says, he says to all, if anyone would come after me, one thing I want to take note of here is that, and I think it's important, is that the statement is not addressed 
to his, just to the 12 disciples there. He says to all, he said to all, if anyone, there's a, there's a somewhat of a universal qualifier there, I guess we could say, if anyone would come after me, and it's, and again, you know, this emphasizes the fact that the expectations of what he's about to say are not just for those who are already Christians who want more, but this is really, uh, this is really quite simply for anyone who would profess a desire to follow after Christ. But he says to all, if anyone would come after me uh, in saving faith as a Christ follower, and see what this tells us, at least <clears throat> one thing that this tells us or should tell us, is that the gospel message, that call to follow Christ, the command, if you will, of repentance and faith in Jesus goes out to all people. You know, anyone could become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that we know that not everyone will become a follower of Christ, and there's certainly biblical reasons for that that we understand from Scripture, but but the fact is that the gospel message goes out to all people. If anyone would come after me, you know, this... um, this call that Jesus, you know, there's something in the gospel that I think, uh, you know, maybe it's our, maybe it's our culture, maybe it's modern, postmodern culture um, that's made it into this. I, you know, I'm not really sure, but uh, you know, the gospel. We have to understand that this call to follow after Christ, the gospel message, is not an it's not an invitation to be accepted or denied. It's a it's a summons to be obeyed. You know, when we read through the Bible, this, this call to follow after Christ, it, it's not the same as when we invite somebody. Hey, would you like to do this? Hey, maybe you should consider this. It's, it's, it's not as though Jesus would say, you know, hey, would you like to, why don't you follow after me? You know, I'm, I'm knocking on the door of your heart and I'd like to do, I'd like to forget, I'd like to do things for you and, and, and you can accept me. It's not an invitation like we're, like he's inviting us to a birthday party and we could say, oh, you know, maybe I'll think about it or not. The gospel message, the call to follow Christ, is a, it's a summons to be obeyed. This call to follow after Jesus, to repent of sin and, and, and put faith in him, it's a summons. It's a summons by the eternal God. And we see that throughout scripture. I mean, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 45, 22, God says, turn to me all the ends of the earth and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. It's not a, an invitation, it's a summons by the eternal God. Uh, Acts 17, 30, and 31 says basically the same, the same idea. And so uh, the, the point is, is that the gospel message goes out to all. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would, would desire to be a f- Christ follower, um, and in light of that, you know, it's important that we not only understand that, but, in, but that we live in light of that. In light of that, we, we should understand then that, for one, you know, I'm not allowed to decide who the message of the gospel goes out to and who can become a follower of Christ or part of the body of Christ, the church. You know, it, it, what that means, what that should tell me is that I can in no way be judgmental in any way about who the people to whom God calls me to share the gospel with, you know. Um, because in our fallenness, in our sinfulness, I suppose, we can be judgmental about the people uh, around us and sharing the gospel. Uh, you know, maybe a, a difficult relative or coworker, or the person on the street or the person we don't want to get involved with. Um, the point is, is that the gospel, we're commanded to take the gospel into the world and it goes out to all. If anyone would follow after me. So I cannot, I don't decide who gets to hear the gospel and therefore who would become, who is able to become a, a part of the body of Christ there. And since, since that's true, 
And since the call here is, <clears throat> if anyone, since the call, the message of the gospel um, to follow Christ goes out to everyone, and since then potentially or hypothetically maybe anybody could become a follower of Christ, this means that Christ's church, Christ's body, the church, is made up of anybody's. It's a, a, a group of diverse followers, maybe we could say, who love each other, who display their love for him and how they love each other, and who openly receive anyone who would profess a desire to follow him or the fact that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Though, of course, we use discernment. But the point is, is that a true follower of Jesus Christ embraces followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of who they are. You know, this is the mark of a true Christian. The call goes out to everyone. It's not an option. Um, the, the call to, to believe in Jesus, to the, the summons, as we said, to, to turn from your sin and believe in Jesus goes out to all people, and true Christians will embrace true Christians, regardless of who they are. Hmm? Now, <clears throat> so he continues there. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. So then here we really, again, we get to the heart of this. We, we get some characteristics, some commands, some actions um, concerning what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and, and again, as said a few times, we're, we're to submit to the truth and the authority of Scripture um, in every matter. Uh, rather than following our own ideas, our own assumptions, or deciding in ourselves what, uh, what we believe a Christ follower, a Christian, the way they should act, what they should think, we're to submit to the Lord and to his word. And so what he says right here are not suggestions or options for the believer, but these are commands for the true Christian from the Lord himself. These are, these are principles that should affect every area of my life. And he starts there by saying, the one who comes after, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Well, what does that mean? Well, to deny himself, to deny ourselves, it's, it's not in the sense of denying necessarily certain things. It's not, he's not um, deny yourself in the sense of asceticism. Uh, there, there's an old, uh, it's kind of silly, but there's an old, it was, I think it was before my time, but I remember hearing this um, at some point or another, but there's an old saying, uh, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. I had that written down. But the point is, is uh, that I don't do, you know, well, I'm a Christian, so, uh, you know, I have to deny myself of all of these particular things. I'll say something on that in a second. But, but that's the, the point is not that what he's saying is, well, uh, if anyone would follow after me, then here's your list of things you can and cannot do, if that makes sense. Um, rather, what he's saying is deny yourself in terms of self-will. Self-rights, uh, self-control, self-governing authority, self-autonomy, you know, really being the, the captain of my own ship, ruling my own life, um, living rather the one who follows after Christ gives up those, those rights, gives up that self-centeredness, that self-governing, self-autonomy, and, and rather lives in complete obedience and dependence upon the Lord. Uh, it does mean, of course, it does imply under the lordship of Jesus as his followers, I will deny myself of certain things. You know, I'm, I'm going to deny myself things that are sinful, things that are impure, things that are without the ability to glorify God. Um, but the point that he's getting at is to the one who would follow after Christ is the one who would give over the control of their, over their life. I'm going to live for the Lord, and I'm going to live uh, according to his will and his rule. He is the Lord. He is the king, not me. It's denying myself of that self-autonomy 
in my heart and in my life. And, you know, I was thinking about this as I, when I thought about this, um, you know, sin, it just makes us so such a, sin causes us to be such a self-centered people. And this is, this is extremely difficult. You know, we don't do these things uh, naturally. We want to, we, we want to do what we want to do so many times. And I was thinking, you know, when was the last time that I actively denied myself anything at all that I said, you know what? Okay, Lord, I'm not going to do this. I have to deny myself of this thing. Um, it can be difficult, you know, because of our, our sin, I suppose. So he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And then he says, take up his cross. Let him take up his cross. Well, the cross represents really extreme suffering. It represents humiliation. It represents death. You know, as a, as a Christian, I am to be so committed to him that I'm ready to experience and to even embrace the suffering the humiliation, the rejection that, that can and most likely will come because of my association with him. And, uh, you know, this is, we talk a lot in, in church as Christians, we talk a lot about the cross, but, and even take up your cross and we'll say stuff, you know, we'll make those kind of comments and say those things. But, you know, this is a, this is a radical statement that, that Christ makes here, you know, the, the, the cross that represents death and, and again, and humiliation and rejection and all that too. To willingly take up the cross, to embrace the will of God, no matter the cost, you know, that, that flies in the face of what most people think, uh, that contrary, uh, that popular, maybe, um, maybe you've heard everything in moderation. You, know, don't, you don't need to take it too far. Uh, no, the call to follow Christ is a call to deny myself of ruling over my own life and not only deny, uh, denying myself, but also dying to myself for the sake of Christ, because that's what the cross means. It means death. It's an instrument of death. And so I'm to lay down my life for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God. But because I've denied myself, if I deny myself the, the, you know, the rulership over my own life, then I can readily take up the cross, you see, because if I deny myself of my own rights and the control and the rule over my own life and I commit myself to the care of this sovereign God, then I can, I can with courage and with boldness, I can take up that cross because I know that he's faithful to give me the grace and the endurance to bear the cross and to do whatever he might call me to do. There's a, a, a great story about Corey Tinboom that she tells uh, that kind of illustrates this, I think, really well. And I think she tells it in a book, but I, I, I first came across it um, through John Piper, through something he was talking about. But Corey Tinboom was a was a Christian who was alive during a little girl during the Holocaust, and and she tells this story about when she was she was talking to her father, and she was talking to him about whether or not she would have the strength to suffer for Christ during the Holocaust and all. And this is how it goes. She says, Daddy, she said to him one day, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, her father wisely responded, when you take a train trip from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right, he replied. And so it is with God's strength. Our, Our wise Father in heaven knows when you are going to need things too. Today you do not need the strength to be a martyr, but as soon as you're called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. Uh, You see, the one who denies himself, the person who denies themselves, 
dies to ourself, though most of us, I'm sure, in this room will not physically have to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ. Usually it's in, I think it's in, in different ways we do that uh, in, in our culture, in our context and all. But the one who does that, we can trust that God is going to give us the grace and the strength and the endurance to do whatever he brings into our life to do. He's going to, just as her father said there, as soon as you're called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. That that's in itself is a, I don't know if you caught it, but that's, a, that's an amazing statement there. As soon as you're called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, the honor of facing death for Jesus, you see there's, there's no shame in denying self and dying to self. You know, as a Christian, there's no shame in living for a, as a Christian submitted to a good and holy and righteous and gracious and loving God. There's, there's honor, there's great honor in bearing the cross and dying to self and, and denying ourselves for the sake of Christ and for the glory of God. And, you know, how many, I think, how many of us, how many times maybe we don't uh, really understand that reality. Now, he says here, too, notice, that, notice there that he says, the one who follows after him, he says, the, to any who would follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, the, the life of a Christ follower isn't a momentary life, you know. That's to, that's to, to say it's not lived up in a single moment of profession, you know. That, that my Christianity is not defined in the moment that I said a prayer or walked up to an altar or whatever it might be. Uh, neither is it Sunday morning Christianity, you know, where I come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening and fellowship and sing and do all those things. And then Monday through Saturday, it's, you know, it's completely different. It's my own. No, you, you see this life that we're called to as followers of Jesus is a, it's a daily moment by moment life lived in obedience and dependence upon the living God. It's, it's so often it is a Daily and momentary, moment, daily and momentary denying of myself and taking up the cross and dying to self. So he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So follow him. Follow Christ how? Well, follow him in the, in the sense of uh, perhaps his example and his life of devotion and obedience, his dependence upon the Father, following his words, following his teaching, his commands, following him exclusively, uh, giving ourselves over to God with that undivided, uncompromising allegiance. You see, as, as Christians, we're called to follow Christ in such a way that our lives, to the greatest degree possible, mirror the life of Christ in our heart, in our words, in our actions, and all like that. You know, this is truly a, a picture of the true Christ follower. Uh, the language, there's a little something here that's that's kind of interesting, and I think that's, um, that's uh, well, it's worth noting. The language here, what, the way Luke writes, he uses a couple of um, action words, a couple verbs there um, that characterize, in his characterizing the true Christ follower. Uh, when he says there, the one who would come after me is the one who follows after him, the desire and the action, okay? The one, if anyone would come after me, that's the one who would follow me. What it's implying there, at least, is, is the one who, uh, the true Christ follower, the one who would come after him, is the one, or the one who would follow him, is the one who has definitively denied themselves and taken up their cross. If anyone would follow after me, uh, the person who follows him 
the person who is a Christ follower has definitively denied their self, taken up their cross, died to self, and given themselves uh, wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. This is a picture of a Christ follower. You know, it's, it's not an option. It's not for the one who, again, who wants to take it to the next level with God. Uh, the true Christian is one who, again, denies the rule over their own life, dies to themselves, lays down their life in every way for the will of God, no matter what it is, knowing that he's a good God, a holy God, a, a just God, a gracious God, and that he is going to give you what you need, the grace that you need uh, to handle anything that he brings into your life. Well, continuing on then, he, he says there in verses 24 and 25, if you want to look at your Bible with me there, after saying that, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself there? So following this statement about following him and describing what a true Christ follower looks like, he makes this other statement, which is kind of a, a paradox of sorts. It doesn't seem to make sense about finding and losing life then. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And um, I want to take just a moment to really try to understand the emphasis of what he's implying here with his choice of words, because the, the would there is actually, uh, I think it's pretty important, for whoever would save his life. Um, whoever would save his life sounds like a fairly straightforward and reasonable statement. It's the lose it part that maybe trips us up a little bit, right? Who doesn't want to preserve their own life? Well, whoever would save his own life will lose it, right? That's um, who wouldn't want to preserve life. However, I think it's it's helpful and uh, if we, that it'll, it'll make the point more just to consider the way some other English versions of the Bible. Uh, translate that word there, translate this, and I didn't write which one was which, I just wrote it down, but here in the ESV that I'm reading from, it says whoever would save his life. Others say whoever wishes to save their life, whoever wants to save their life, whoever wills or desires to save their life, and what's being implied here is this strong desire. Whoever would save their life, a strong desire, but a strong desire for what? Well, it's a desire to maintain that control over my own life, which is the antithesis of denying self. Whoever would save their own life, this is describing the person that's determined to hold on, to live that self-centered life. It's the person who refuses to deny self-rights and self-control and that self-ruling. It's, it's describing the person, whoever would save, desire to save their own life is the one who wants to hold on to their own self-autonomy there, the one who refuses to uh, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after Christ. Uh, rather, this is the person who desires to live for themselves, for their pleasures and their, uh, and their desires, and maintaining control and, again, self-autonomy uh, of their own life there. And this attitude, then, is, is it's completely the opposite of what we just saw that the true Christ follower, that describes the true Christ follower. Uh, it's... The same word, actually, that's used in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, right? If anybody has a desire, if anybody wants to come, or wishes and desires and wills to come after me, these are the things they'll do. If anybody would desire and wishes to maintain control over their own life, they will lose it. It's the opposite of the true Christ follower there. And the end result, he says, of that kind of life is certain loss. The one who would save their life will lose it, you know, perhaps in many ways presently in the world, but more importantly, eternally speaking, the one who 
wishes to save on, or to hold on to their own control over their own life, who isn't willing to give themselves over to God wholeheartedly, he says, when you seek to save your life, you will lose it. Um, there's a, a William Barclay, he's an old Christian, dead Christian, but he, he, uh, there's a great, great quote by him. He said, the Christian must realize that he's given life not to keep it for himself, but to spend it for others. Not to husband its flame, but to burn himself out for Christ and for men. You know, God gives us this life. I think what he's saying there is, uh, is not just to keep it and hold it to ourselves, but to spend it, you know, for, for people and for ultimately for God's glory. And that fits what we, of course, what we know in the Bible. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 there, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. And, you know, we're, we're called not to hold on to ourselves. You know, we are a purchased people. And we ought to live in light of being a purchased people, living for the, the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. There's a, it's been said, maybe you've heard it, I've heard it, I don't know, different places, but, or different people have said that there's a great oughtness to the Christian life. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that. But the point is, is that in light of all that God has done for me, you know, I ought to do certain things. You know, I ought to live in light of all that God has done for me in Jesus Christ. So he says, whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. And he says then, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the one who gives up their, you know, that self-control, that self-autonomy, the one who gives their life over to God um, will find and enjoy eternal communion and fellowship with him. This is the one, again, who, who displays that undivided allegiance and devotion to Christ by denying self, by, by bearing the cross. And, excuse me, he continues there by, by saying, for what does it profit a man, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You know, all of the world, all of the riches, all of the pleasures, all of the experiences that the world could offer are not worthy of being compared to the value of eternal life in Jesus Christ. You know, what in the world could we possibly gain or what in the world could possibly be worth the refusal to deny myself in exchange for salvation? You know, what, what temporary, momentary, timely insignificant thing or experience is truly worth giving up or, or getting to give up eternal life and communion with the living God? You know, what would it profit... What would it benefit to have and experience all of the fleeting things in the world in exchange for eternal life? You know, I think the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18, he kind of he hits the same, well, the same idea at least. He's talking about suffering. No suffering compares to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. But I think you, know, you could apply the same principle. What is it that I could, there is nothing in the world that is worthy to even uh, be compared to the value of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, those who would seek to save their life and hold on and, and, and gain whatever you can gain from the world, um, in the end, it's, uh, well, in the end, it's not worth it. In the end, it's, uh, in the end, it just leads to, uh, to death and separation from God, of course. Now, in closing here, we'll just, uh, really quickly, we'll just look at this last verse here, verse 26, as he as he tells us really the absolute, uh, he shows us really the absolute necessity and the value 
a following after him. He says, therefore, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and of the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It's, it's very clear. I think it's a very straightforward statement by the Lord concerning those who would consider or profess uh, to follow him. You know, if we're going to truly be Christ followers, if we're really going to follow after Jesus Christ, then our love for him, our association with him, which is shown in that allegiance to him, that devotion to him, our denying, our cross-bearing and following and all, that must be at the forefront of every area of our lives. Uh, being ashamed of him, of, his, of who he is, of his words, um, is, is evidence that we are not truly his followers, that we haven't denied ourselves, that we haven't t- taken up the cross, that we're not following him, that we don't value the life that he offers, the eternal life, uh, over our own self-controlled life, you know, that we refuse, again, that we refuse to lay down ourselves for the sake of Christ and the glory of God. And the judgment, he says, is to the point, if I deny him now, if I deny association with him, if I refuse to, to do as he calls me to do, if I deny him now, well, then he will deny that association with me in his coming and power and glory at the final judgment. Uh, Matthew 7, um, verses 21 through 23, gives us a, a, really it's a scary, I suppose, maybe a reality that, that Christ says there. He says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, uh, following Christ, um, you know, he's to the point. He, just as the call of the gospel is not an invitation, it's a summons. So these things really are, these are characteristics of the true Christ follower. They're not options or, you know, uh, uh, things that we can just think about. You know, the true Christ follower, the one who follows after Christ, is the one who truly does deny themselves, who, who gives themselves over to the will of God, who takes up their cross, who dies to themselves and, and gives themselves over, who trusts and submits themselves to the will of God no matter what and follows him in, in every way. Um, and, uh, you know, apart from that, and, it, you know, apart from that, uh, well, if that's not us, again, if that doesn't describe our life as Christ followers, then perhaps we should examine our hearts and see, you know, does my life match up with what, uh, with what the scriptures say a Christian, uh, truly looks like. So, uh, in, in closing, just, um, you know, just an application, I suppose, for, for both a, a Christian and a non-Christian that I think we could take from this is, uh, you know, again, they're not, these aren't suggestions, they're not options. So for the Christian, if you're a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian, I think that we could look at this and reflect on the implications of what this portion of Scripture says. You know, am I living this way? Uh, am I denying myself? Am I seeking to hold on to, uh, am I trying to steer my own ship and captain my own ship, as they say, you know, with my life? Or... Uh, am I denying myself? Am I living for the, for God, for His will? You know, am I living according to the Scriptures? Am I living as, as God calls me to live? And if not, then we ought to be honest with ourselves, of course, and we ought to 
seek the Lord in that and repentance and turn to him knowing that he's gracious, that, he, that he'll restore, and then, and then we ought to. We ought to live in light of what he calls us to live. For the unbeliever, um, in light of these realities that we see here, um, you know, for the unbeliever, if there's anybody who's here or listening or ever listens to this in the future, um, the, the reality is for the unbeliever that, that you are the one who's attempting to hold on to your life, the, it's self-control. And that's, the again, the antithesis of a true Christian, of a Christ follower. And so that person is still in their sin, and you will stand before God in accountability for your sin. And so you need to repent and believe and, and not be worried of uh, what you could lose because all there is is to gain in, in the Lord. You know, there's a, and I'll just close with this and we'll pray, but there's a, a, a very famous, well-known quote by a man named Jim Elliott, who I'm sure many of you have heard, but uh, he's, he's very well-known now, says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know, there's nothing in this world that is more valuable than giving yourself to Christ and repentance and faith. And, um, you know, there's nothing in the world that can take that. There's nothing you can, that can profit you more than turning over your life uh, to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Amen? Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to pray, and then we're going to take communion in a moment, and then we'll be dismissed. So if you'll bow your heads with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, again, just for a... Uh, just for this time to come together, Lord, and to just worship you in, in song and prayer and praise and through your word, Lord. Um, Father, I just pray that you would uh, just take the things from your, from your scriptures here, from your word that, um, that are true and that are right, Lord. You, you know what we need. You know what all of us need to hear. And um, Lord, just put those things in our heart. Help us to uh, not go away from here the same as when we came in, Lord. Um, just give us the grace to uh, just to reflect and take to heart what your word says here. Um, uh, Father, that we might live more for your glory, more Christ-like lives that would, that would not only um, glorify you, but point people to you, Lord. So um, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the time. We thank you for your word and, and your grace toward us. So uh, we just pray that you'd be with us, that you'd bless us. Yeah, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh,